uh, I know most of you, I cannot yet see it on you on the screen, but uh, is glad, uh, glad to know many of you. I can see you now. Uh, uh, praise God for that. Um, uh, this is a privilege for me to be with you all. Uh, uh, great to have Pastor uh, uh, Abraham and uh, Shoba also joining us uh, from Doha. <laughs> and uh, uh, so good to, good to be with you to share God's word. I know these are such uh, difficult times. These are so strange times for for some of us, life has completely changed. Uh, for some of us, maybe because our work is such that allows us to function from home, has made it easier. But not everybody uh, has experience. And, you know, the whole economy in the world in most places has been affected and billions of people have uh, been struggling. So we are, in a sense, in a kind of a prison and we're going to learn from somebody else today uh, who was also in prison many times. Uh, and uh, so we're going to learn from him. Uh, just to check, uh, Pastor Prem, the um, audio is okay. You can hear well and uh, fine. Thank you. So uh, let me, uh, let me uh, begin with uh, explaining what we have today. Uh, once again, it's a joy. I was looking at the names there. Many of your names I recognize. Uh, many of you have seen, met, uh, had the privilege of meeting. But some of you I may not know you personally, but thank you for uh, being in this group. We need each other. We need the church. Uh, and one of the things I believe as we follow Jesus, uh, we need to walk with travel companions. So my message this morning, if you are taking notes or if you are uh, keeping it in mind, is following Jesus with Paul. Uh, what I want to say is uh, that while we follow Jesus in our language, sometimes you say, I accepted Christ as my personal savior. Uh, we use the word personal in a very uh, unique, uh, kind of strange way. We don't, don't use that elsewhere uh, because we are sharing Christ with the world. Not just with, uh, with, he's not just ours. And sometimes some of our songs also don't communicate that very well. It seems like we alone individually are having this relationship with God. I was glad to hear some of the songs we sang, Our God. Uh, we are not traveling alone. Uh, there are some of the songs we sing, maybe they're trying to emphasize that we must spend time alone with God, which is good. Uh, I come to the garden alone. All that is nice, but there are times we should be alone with Jesus' prayer and all that. But most of the time, Jesus asked people to follow him along with others. Even when we read the Gospel of Mark, he said, uh, come. He told two brothers, come follow me. And while each one has to make a choice personally or individually, we really are not traveling alone. And that is a good news. And if we feel that we are struggling in our Christian life all alone, maybe we've got something little amiss in our understanding of the Christian walk. We were never meant to struggle alone. We were never meant 
to walk alone with Jesus. Uh, there is an aspect where we have to have our personal, but uh, Jesus always sent out his disciples in company, never alone. Uh, and um, so keep this in mind, even when we come, well, that's why we need the church with all the limitations. Not a single church is there that will satisfy all your needs and all your desires and not a single pastor is there who can satisfy all your longings and everybody else's longings. So uh, we live in reality. We live in families that we did not choose. There are some aspects of our family we may not like, mem other members. Sometimes we don't like some things of our own life. But learning to walk with Jesus and uh, following Jesus with travel companions. And uh, some of the best travel companions are found in the church. They are ordinary people like you and me, and we must not travel alone. So make an effort if you, uh, just in case you do not have, you need to have at least one or two people with whom you are traveling this life journey and following Jesus. Uh, look for somebody either in this congregation or elsewhere who will travel with you, who will understand your following Jesus. And I want to suggest that Paul is a great travel companion. You can get to know him quite a lot because we have in the New Testament several of his letters. So as we read them, try to understand them, we can get to know this man, Paul, quite well. So keep that in mind. We travel with Paul. Uh, last year, some of you may remember, uh, I had myself forgotten, okay, uh, that I shared with you about Mark uh, last year. Traveling with Mark. Mark, when you read the Gospel of Mark, you realize he's trying to emphasize the suffering servant. Jesus as the suffering servant. And if we follow this Jesus with Mark, he will teach us this, that following Jesus is following a suffering servant. Uh, if you travel with Luke, he will teach you some very unique things. And uh, you talk to him, he will uh, uh, tell you some things about discipleship. He will tell you about this wonderful first disciple whom I like to call Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so like that, uh, each of these travel companions, we have so many to choose from. Not only those who have written in the New Testament and Old Testament, but also there are many through church history. So you could pick up a book of somebody who is no more with us physically and you can find help for your travel, your journey on the way. So remember, we are following Jesus. We are on a journey and we must not walk alone. We must have some close companions uh, whom we constantly talk to. And uh, in the church, uh, those who we can actually write an email or a message or a, take up the phone and call. Or we have people like this wonderful servant of God. Today, I want to talk about traveling with Paul. Now, all of us know that Paul is a major figure in the Christian life. In the New Testament, while Jesus is our Lord and Savior, he is the center of our faith. He's our Lord and Savior. Paul 
probably is the next most important person in the New Testament. So in some ways, Paul will shape our understanding of the Christian life. If we don't get Paul right, then it's possible that we are not getting Jesus right. Maybe we are not understanding Jesus well. So Paul, in the providence of God, among the many letters he would have written, these uh, letters, some of them are large, some of them are small, 13 letters are with us in the New Testament. So when you are getting to know this man, Paul, you will be able to follow Jesus uh, well. Uh, I, I like to tell my students that if you don't know Paul, you are in danger because you can become a victim to all kinds of bad ideas or poor, you know, biblical understanding or uh, fall prey to bad examples. And Paul will tell you which examples not to follow. He will tell you, follow our kind of example. So I would like to say that whenever you are thinking about your view about God and about the faith and about how to live and what Christians should do or not do, uh, it is a good idea to check it out with Paul. And if Paul sends you uh, a, a WhatsApp message with the, with the thumbs up, then you are fine. <laughs> then you are fine with that. Uh, if he agrees with your view, uh, is it a thumbs up that he's giving you? Then you are probably a safe. I'm reminded of a young pastor in a small town who, uh, you know, in his maybe ex exuberance, uh, before a very expensive uh, car uh, somewhere in some showroom, he stood before it and uh, took a selfie and said, this is uh, my dream car, etc. And uh, his friends, of course, on Facebook said, yes, yes, so-and-so, so-and-so. Ah, God will give it to you. <laughs> and this very expensive car, not a very, not at all an ordinary car, very expensive. So I was wondering, how come this young pastor thinks that? And then his friends all say, God will give it to you, brother, claim it, etc. And I sent him a message, not publicly, but personally and said, my dear friend, uh, why do you think God will want to give you this such an expensive car when there are literally thousands of his beloved children, missionaries, pastors, who are really praying and struggling to even buy a motorcycle. Uh, why do you think God wants to give you this expensive car? Uh, you know, do you need that for your ministry? Uh, and uh, then, of course, he responded this way, that way. What I'm trying to say is, if you want to know about uh, how to live a life, Check it out with Paul. He will teach you uh, what kind of life he had. And in fact, Paul will say, follow me as I follow Christ. So today, I want us to look at one of his writings where Paul will reveal a lot about himself and about the gospel and about how we look at ourselves, how we look at God, how we look at others. And so I invite you to turn to the letters of Paul in your Bible. If your Bible is there close by or you're turning it on on your devices to, well, we'll read one full letter of Paul. Okay. And so don't worry. It is the shortest letter of Paul. Uh, that is Philemon. 
So turn in your Bibles to the last letter of Paul just before we come to Hebrews. So we have the last letter of Paul. I have says I say this many times just in case somebody is here in the group who may not have recognized that. We have 13 letters of Paul uh, arranged in the New Testament. Uh, we don't know who did it, who found, went to the different places. And uh, remember in those days, there's no photocopying or uh, whatever. So somebody who wants to make one more copy of that letter has to rewrite the whole letter. So somebody started making copies of different letters from different places. And somewhere around maybe the uh, end of the first century, the letters of Paul were being collected. And these letters got collected, these 13 letters. Now, you may wonder why are they put in that order? Uh, the first nine letters from Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. They are all according uh, written to churches. Did you notice that? They are all written to churches. And then the next four letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus and Philemon are written to uh, named individuals. Of course, others also may be reading it. So you have those two groups of letters. However, even these two groups, if in case you're wondering why they are in that order, it's a very simple reason. Uh, they are in that order because of size. Okay, So the longer letters first and the shorter letters are all. So that is the very simple reason why when the letters of Paul were collected, they were collected in this order and put into our New Testament in this order. So at the end of the letters of Paul, you come to Philemon, which is the shortest letter. And in your Bibles, it is just one page, isn't it? One page is what Philemon is. So it's not even a big letter. It's a postcard. It's a little long postcard. Uh, or if those of us who are here, the older ones, will remember an inland letter. <laughs> a little longer inland letter. So, But in this short letter that you have in your hands, you have a jewel. Some things can be very small. You know, you can have a diamond that is so small, but it is so precious. It's more precious than everything else in the room, right? So it's a precious jewel in the New Testament, even though it's a small letter of Paul. Now, very quickly, if you have read this, and I would say if you have not read it, uh, take time today when you have time. It's just one page slowly after what I have shared with you in the message, go back and read it again. It will take you a few minutes, slowly savoring it and so that you will get a good grasp of this letter because when you listen to Paul, you will know how better to follow Jesus. So we are looking at following Jesus with Paul and we are listening to him uh, speak this letter out finally. Now, as you look, start looking at the letter, you will realize this letter is not written only by Paul. He is in chains or he's a prisoner, but he's also, Timothy is with him. Now, whether Timothy comes to visit him while he's in prison or he's also a fellow prisoner, we don't know. But Timothy is with him. They both are writing. Probably Timothy is the one handwriting it and Paul is uh, dictating it. And, uh, but the three main characters in this story are obviously Paul, 
and the recipient of this letter, his name is Philemon, and a young man called Onesimus. Onesimus is a runaway slave. So these are the three main characters. But if you make a triangle with three um, uh, you know, angles or three um, ends, what you have is in the center, that is the central character, and that is Christ Jesus himself. So all these three characters, everything revolves around the central character of Jesus, whom we are following. So as we read this story and this uh, letter, whatever insight it is like, it is like some photographs uh, of some old time. And looking at the photographs, you are reminded about so many things. But everything is not there. All the whole story is not there. So it's like that. We are reading this. We get some idea about how you and I, in our walk with Jesus, can follow Jesus better listening to Paul. Now, let's let me uh, say this. The word Philemon is a very ordinary uh, word. It's a Greco-Roman word. It's not a Christian name. Okay. Uh, by the way, there are no Christian names in the New Testament. They're all either Hebrew names uh, like my name, Jacob, which means deceiver. <laughs> so there is nothing great Christian about it. Or you have names, you know, that are Greco-Roman, like Lydia and Clement and all. We think they are Christian because Christians had it. But these names are actually very much names that everybody had. Pagans had it. And sometimes a name can be even referring to a pagan god. And Christians never change their names. Like Epaphroditus, which means dedicated to Aphrodite. Can you imagine that? The goddess Aphrodite. But he didn't change. So uh, the name Philemon is coming out of very interesting legendary history. There is a story that um, Philemon was a man who welcomed the gods in his house and all that. So he's supposed to be known as the word Phi Philemon. Maybe some of you remember the or have heard the Greek verb phileo, which means to love. Uh, Philemon is connected to that. It is an affectionate person. Um, also, you would have heard the word uh, greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, that word kiss means uh, it's the word philema. It sounds like Philemon, right? Philema, yeah. Uh, so in other words, Philemon is uh, his name itself means somebody who's very affectionate or a person who's loving, etc. Now, who is this Philemon? As you read uh, verse one itself, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. So he's a close friend of Paul. And also to Aphia, our sister, probably his wife. And Archippus, our fellow soldier, maybe his brother, Philemon's brother, or could be his even his son. Now listen what comes after that. To the church that meets in your home. Now today, when you and I use the word church, very often we use it. Uh, what time are we meeting? Where are we meeting? We are meeting at church, we will say, uh, which is a building or a room where we meet. Uh, but here, did you notice the church always met in a place? They didn't meet in the church, but the church met in a home. So looks like Philemon was a well-to-do person because you need to have a little larger house for the church to meet in. And so he has a house and the church meets in his house. Uh, and um, this is what he says. Then, so what we know a little later is, uh, if you also read, there is another letter that is connected to Philemon. And that is 
Colossians, the letter to the Colossians. I will give you some references. You can write it later. You can look at it because uh, there are verses where you will find many of these people mentioned in this Philemon are also mentioned in Colossians. So if you look at Colossians 4, 9, Colossians 4, 9 and Colossians 4, 17, you will read about people mentioned there are mentioned here. So uh, what we realize is Philemon is a somewhat wealthy man. Uh, he has at least one slave because that slave has run away for a while. Uh, and uh, so, but he also knows Paul very well. But he's also a very interesting man. We'll come more to him. Then we read about another man called Onesimus. He's a young man. And he's mentioned only twice, friends. Uh, here in Philemon verse 10. Uh, verse 10, he is mentioned only once. And also he is mentioned in Colossians 4.9. Okay, so he was a slave in the household of uh, Philemon. Now, from what we read carefully, it looks like he ran away from his master's house. Now, for this, uh, we need to get a little background of that culture. Remember, we are going back almost 2,000 years in those days, slavery was very common. And uh, you basically bought slaves in the market. It's like almost like you buy a cow and you buy a slave. Now, if you buy a cow, your cow cannot just run away one day and go to somebody else's house. And that person cannot keep it and say, ah, I, I, God has sent me a cow. I'll use this. No, you can't. Uh, so runaway slaves are not allowed to run away. They're not supposed to. Um, and so it was a crime to run away if you are a slave. That's how the rules and regulations were. And a runaway slave could be very badly punished. So they had very little rights before the law. And you cannot keep a runaway slave because he's not your slave. Uh, you could be in trouble. Um, but there was an interesting tradition. Suppose the slave wanted to go back to the master. Suppose a slave said, ah, I thought life was okay, you know, running away, but I think maybe life was better back at home. So the runaway slave may choose to go back to the master. And for that, what the slave sometimes could do was, you know, he cannot just go back and say, I've come back. And uh, <laughs> he, he could fall back in what was called the amicus domini. Amicus Domini, domini uh, of the master. Uh, amicus is a friend of the master. So maybe you look for a person who is like a friend of your master and you go to him and say, I'm sorry, but please help me. I want to go back to my master. Can you put in a good word for me so that I can go? And so you use a little, you know, friendship, somebody asking you, please, can you do that? So something like that has happened here. Paul is in a prison. When you read this letter, you will not know exactly which prison he is at, but he's in a prison. And uh, there is a good chance that he's in a prison in Rome. And what has happened is, while he's in a prison, somehow this boy, this young man, has found him. Obviously, he knows about Paul because Paul is his master. Not just friend, he's like a guru to his master. So he looks for him or he, we don't know how, but he finds Paul, whether by 
coincidence he heard about it or maybe he tried to survive and he could not and he thought i must go back somebody told him paul is here why don't you ask him so he meets paul but what has happened is in those days the prisons the way they work you could have people coming and helping you in the prison system and so he would go and help paul in prison as allowed so probably my guess is he was maybe cooking for paul or washing his clothes and taking care of paul in some way and uh, so now he is used to doing that as a slave so he is not only that he has while being with paul he becomes a believer now he becomes a spiritual son paul will say of mine so that is an interesting story going on behind this letter right we don't know all the exact points how it happened but this is what happened so paul's purpose for writing this letter is a recommendation letter and i always think of recommendation letters can make a difference there are people who will say i was recommended for this job by so and so so and so and then my life once i entered that place my life was wonderful you know today i am in this place because to begin with somebody recommended me you know i can always thank god for some people who recommended me i have recommended some people so paul writes this short letter to intercede for a runaway slave onesimus now the tone the moment you read this letter the tone see what he says verse 9 therefore although in christ i could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do right he's older he's senior he's the leader of the group and they respect him so paul can say please do this please do this and they will have to say okay paul says what to do we are to it but he says no i'm going to appeal to you how i prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love it is none other than me paul an old man <laughs> he says i am an old man now and you know i have a desire can you meet my desire and now also i am a prisoner of christ jesus not just an old man so the way the tone of the letter there's a whole emotive appeal to this letter as he slowly read this letters not only that there are some what you can call word plays when he writes this now some of this we may not notice it in english uh, but did you see for example he said i appeal to you for onesimus who became my son while i was in chains verse 11 formerly he was useless to you but now he has become useful now let me just tell you very interesting thing onesimus the name itself the meaning of the name is useful <laughs> now you can imagine very few people will name their children onesimus but if you have a slave generally slaves can be named onesimus useful and uh, but he says you know what he was earlier useless to you that's the english word let me just write down in the chat so that all of you can see the word the word that he uses is this word do you see the word a krestos you see that in the chat a krestos means not useful uh you see the word a a means opposite like we say theist a theist in many languages you use a to 
um, negate what you say earlier. So krestos is means uh, useful. So not useful. Earlier he was maybe not so useful. Maybe he was not a good slave or whatever. But now he says he has become. He uses another word, eukrestos. Eukrestos. Now, of course, in English, useless, useful is there. So it seems like a play, but actually, in the Greek, there is a very interesting play. So I don't. I want to bring it to your attention. Uh, a krestos means not so useful, but you, the the prefix you, you will see that in many English words, right? Uh, euphemism, eulogy, eudicolon, euangelion. You means good. Euangelion, the gospel or the good news, right? So euchrestos means good use. He was earlier no use to you. Now he has become of good use. He's become different. He's good. He will be a good use to you. But do you notice something else? Do you notice that the word krestos is similar to? You see the sound of Christos? Yeah. So there seems to be in the air a play. Earlier he was without Christ in a sense. I mean, he's not using the word Christos, please. But I'm just saying in the resonance of the word, there is this possible pun or play with words. Now he's a good Christos, a good uh, person in Christ. So very interesting play of words you see there. Okay, just wanted to bring that to your attention. Uh, so Onesimus has run away. Now, if you're reading verse 18, uh, he, will, he will say, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, Charge it to me, my goodness. Now, Onesimus ran away. Uh, I don't know, but I don't know how many slaves thank God and say, thank God I'm a slave. I don't think anyone will be thanking God he's a slave. But the fact of being a slave is not a great thing. And so every, every slave probably dreams of, what if I was not a slave? What if I had? And so this guy chose to run away. Maybe he thought if he runs away to the big city, he can survive. But looks like he's not having a great day. He's ready to come back. He's met uh, Paul. He has now become a follower of Christ. And uh, then it says, if he, what does it say? If he has wronged in any way. Now, uh, some people think that, oh, because of this, he maybe he stole something and went away. We cannot assume that, okay, friends. Uh, we cannot assume that he stole something and went but obviously, if you, know, you invest money in a slave and the slave runs away, it's a loss to you, correct? And uh, please understand something very interesting. This loss, your runaway slave is now serving somebody else. Okay, it happens to be your guru, but you did not send him there. So Paul is going to say, he has been with me. He's become very useful to me. But I cannot keep him here without your permission. If you send him, it's different. Very interesting uh, dynamics going on here. So let us not assume that Onesimus has stolen anything. Um, but it's still a loss for Philemon. So Paul says, by the way, charge it to my account. Uh, what do you think? Do you think Paul has got some Middle East Express card that he can just pay off with? 
just charge it to his account well you know what he's going to say after that is i uh, i paul uh, am writing this with my own hand hmm. so sometimes paul would write some things with his own hand maybe his handwriting was not so good but some parts of it he will put it he says not to mention that you owe me your very self <laughs> very interesting how do you say that to somebody say you owe me your life to me what kind of relationship is this in the church where i tell somebody you owe me your life that shows you how closely paul is relating with people in the church that philemon thinks of no i owe my life to paul so everything philemon has belongs to paul in a sense so it's not that philemon is going to send him a bill you used my slave for so long this is the bill no so we don't know some of these interesting things that have happened how did paul uh, i mean this guy this onesimus meet paul and all that but now he is and he is now serving paul in prison but he's, he has to go back now keep this in mind there is a man called tychicus mentioned both in colossians and in this letter tychicus is wherever paul is is with paul and from there he is coming now to colossians uh, colossae so paul writes a letter to colossians that you have but also he decides to write a letter to this individual along with the slave he is sending back the slave so that's how this letter is being written tychicus is coming back to colossae and the gospel compels paul to send onesimus back to his master because uh, he needs to he cannot keep him and say by the way your runaway slave is with me and i'm just keeping him no he could have done that but he doesn't and so the letter is a very interesting letter it is to secure forgiveness not just recommendations more than that it's tricky you have been using his slave for so long okay without his permission or knowledge but now he has to send him back and he has to ensure that this boy is taken back properly because a runaway slave could be very badly treated and so a very delicate letter as we said uh, and paul is saying just think of it like i you gave me as a loan think of it as you gave a loan to me and uh, here i am uh, i'm sending him back to you so uh, then one more thing i want us to notice about this man philip what kind of man is philip for that we read verses 4 to 7 verses 4 to 7 if you read that you have an insight into this kind of man this man pilot i think he is true to his name he is true to his name when paul says in verse 4 i always thank my god as i remember you pastors i mean certain people when you think about them you feel good certain people and situations when you think about you don't feel good all of us right and here he says but when i think of you philemon i thank god and because i hear of your love for all people so here he is a man true to his name okay and he says uh, you have been a partner with me verse 6 uh, and i pray that you grow in your understanding of the faith etc verse 7 he says something very interesting your love has given me great joy and encouragement when i think of your love because you brother have and then you have something very interesting refreshed the hearts of the lords 
people. Some of us, the word refresh comes maybe when we are play, uh, doing something on our computer. Refresh. <laughs> refresh the screen. <laughs> but the refreshing here is very different. It is strengthening, reviving, healing. And what he says is the hearts of the saints. Now, I need to give us again a little bit. Now, in the Greek, there is a well-known word. We all are familiar with the word cardio, cardiologist, etc. Because the Greek word for heart is cardia. Everybody knows that word, right? But in this place, in verse 7, and also in verse 12, and also in verse 20, Paul is going to use another interesting word. And I'm going to write that down. Okay, this word in verses 7 and uh, 12 and 20. In verses 7, 12 and 20, when you read the word heart, it is not cardia, it is this word, splunkna. Now, what does splunkna mean? Splunkna is not physically heart. It is below the heart. Now, don't we also sometimes when we speak, we say, uh, from the bottom of my heart? Why? Why do you say bottom of the heart? If, because sometimes saying heart is not good enough. So you need to go deeper than the heart. So you go say bottom of the heart. <laughs> and uh, actually, that is also not deep enough. Generally, when you say our feelings, fear, nervousness, joy, where do we feel? We don't feel it here in the chest. We feel it below. Don't we say butterflies in the stomach? Right? Don't we say I have a gut feeling? The word gut actually is intestines. That is what splunkna means. That's why in the old King James, they use the word bowels. Now, that's intestines. Bowels. Olden times, past doctors used to ask us, how is your bowel movement? If you're not well, your stomach is not well. Paul is saying, you, Philemon, what you do is make the guts of God's people good. People who are coming with difficulties, problems. And my guess is one way is he is a very generous man. He has some means, he has money, and one of the ways, not just his love, but in a practical way, he is helping people and their basic needs are met. Let's say a family says, you know, today we are eating food this month because Philemon gave us the money. So he is one who refreshes the hearts or the guts of God's people. So keep that in mind, though the translation uses the word guts, many of our translations. It is actually not cardiac, it's something deeper within. So this is the kind of man that he is. So you begin to wonder, why did then he run away? Why did uh, Onesimus run away? Did he feel that his master was bad? Well, none of that is clear here. Um, even though you may have a good master, if you are a young slave and you dream of freedom, you can run away. We don't know what happened. But Paul says in verse 12, he became my son 
and now he says, I am sending you who is my very, again, we have the word heart, correct? But actually it is the same words, he is my guts. I'm sending him back to you. Now, can you imagine? He is going to send this boy and this boy is going to stand in front of Philemon. And when Philemon sees him, can he get angry and pull out a stick and beat him up? How can he do that? Because standing in front of him is what? Paul's guts. <laughs> Paul's very Splunkna is standing in front of him. How can he beat him up? So very interesting language Paul is saying. And in verse 20, again, he will say, therefore, you refresh my heart also. You do this for so many people, no? You refresh me and make me joyful by receiving him back. How? Ah, here comes, uh, here comes uh, something different. Verse 16, he says, you're not going to have him back as no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. What he's saying is, Philemon, in the gospel now he has, he may be your slave in this world, but in the gospel, in the Lord, he is your brother. How will you treat your brother? Interesting. Friends, let me come to my points. This story is a beautiful story. Take time, read through this whole story. It is like a set of photographs that you and I are getting to see. Some insight into a real situation in life. A real world situation. Now, by the way, all of us who have joined in this uh, service today, all of us are in real life situations. We are going through difficulties. We are going through challenges. Some of us are upset about things. Some of us are praying for something. Some of us are very happy right now because what we had prayed for, that has happened and we seem to be in a happy place right now. Tomorrow things can change. But this is a real situation. We and I, you and I are in real situations. And we are following Jesus in this real situation. And we are following with Paul and he's speaking to us about this story. What happens? Does the gospel have anything to come say something to our situation or we keep that in a separate room and finish with that and then close the door after Sunday service and then we live our life? Or does the gospel change everything? Now, I want to say the gospel changes everything. The good news is oh, the kingdom of God has already come in Jesus. Not fully come. We are waiting for the end. And it changes everything. Now I just want to say this um, additional thing which is not in your in our Bibles. There is a tradition. Okay, It's a tradition. We cannot be 100% sure about it. That later on there was a bishop of Ephesus whose name was Onesimus. Now, whether it is the same Onesimus, we don't know. But rarely do people have that name. I said, usually it's a slave who becomes uh, is given that name. And uh, the church father, Ignatius, 
mentions him in a letter to the Ephesians that he writes. And he praises for the love of uh, this Onesimus, Bishop Onesimus, leader of the church, and tells people to imitate Onesimus. Now, I don't know whether it's the same Onesimus, but if it is, just imagine what has happened. What has happened? If it is, if that is true, uh, that you know he has become a leader of the church at one time. Gospel can change everything. Now, we don't look to this for easy answer. Most Christians will agree that the direction in which the scripture is pointing is not in support of slavery. So in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, the Western world was struggling with whether to, what to do with slavery. America, they had to be with. Christians said, it's in the Bible, so it's okay. Others said, yes, but where is the Bible pointing? Where is the arc of scripture pointing to? Is it pointing to that slavery must continue or slavery should be abolished? It has to be dismantled. So Paul, in this short letter, doesn't say slavery is bad. But you know what he does? So just think of slavery as a big tree, very big tree. Now, to cut that tree, it will not finish in one day if you have just a simple uh, uh, you know, axe. You cannot cut it off easily, that big tree of slavery that is there. But there is another way you can handle slavery. Maybe dig a hole under the roots and put some poison. Something that will slowly go through the roots and bring the tree down, not right away but slowly. I think of the gospel functioning like that. That in some ways, what Paul is saying is, when in the good gospel, you treat people like your brother, it changes slavery because you don't buy and sell your brother. And so this is a very powerful little uh, letter where you see the gospel is working. Gospel is at stake. If the gospel doesn't work here, the gospel doesn't work anywhere. Forgiveness. There was a statement that Bishop Tutu, Desmond Tutu, uh, the great Archbishop of uh, South Africa used to say, there is no future without forgiveness. There is no future without forgiveness. So let me bring to your attention three things that are changed when we are I like to use the language of kissed by the gospel. Think of Philemon as a man who is kissed by the gospel. I told you his name as a play with the word kiss. If you are kissed by the gospel, what happens? Uh, I am sure many of you and our children have read stories about, you know, Sleeping Beauty was there and then this uh, prince comes and he gives one kiss. Boom. She wakes up. Or uh, Beauty and the Beast, that storyline is there. When uh, the, the beast, this man who has been cursed into the looking like a beast, when the, when the girl, Bella, gives him a kiss or shows I love you, boom, he becomes, you know, he's transformed. He's kissed by love. When we are kissed by God, three things I want to bring to you, simple things. I want to bring to your attention. First of all, our 
view of God will change. Our attitude or our view of God changes. Because in the gospel, our understanding of God comes through Jesus. It's not from some passages in the Old Testament. We read everything backwards through Jesus. Uh, you know, John chapter 1 verse 18, it says, no one has seen God. No one. But the one who was closest to God is the one who has revealed himself. John 1.18. So, when we see Jesus, this is the best we can understand about God. That is why in John's gospel, the way he starts off, in the beginning was the word. Now, a word is one of the best ways to understand somebody, what they mean, what they think, what they feel. Because if a man is standing there and he's not speaking, we don't know what he's thinking. So the word represents that person in a way, reveals that person. That word becomes flesh, we read in the Gospel of John. So when we see Jesus, we can see God. That's how God is. That's how God is. So Jesus reveals. That's why we call Jesus the word of God. I know we can also say the Bible is the small w word of God. In comparison to the capital W word of God, Jesus. And that word of God, Jesus, is what we need to focus on. Sometimes we may struggle with the small w, the Bible, how to understand this passage, that passage, all that is stuff. But we understand Jesus. And Jesus came to show that the kingdom has come. But what kind of king is it? Oh, he says the king is a father. You want to know how kind of father he is? Ah, read Luke 15. You will see that kind of father who runs towards his son who has wasted his life. He doesn't scold him. He welcomes him back. And that is the gracious, loving father we have. So in the gospel, first of all, our attitude to God slowly changes. We realize he's gracious. And when we have an experience of his graciousness, we don't win favor with God because we believe. <laughs> Others don't believe, I believe, so now God is very happy and he is now very nice to me. No, it is by grace. It is his love. If this God is the one we have come to know, obviously it will change the way. Secondly, our view of ourselves. Our attitude to God changes and our attitude to self will change. Many of us, we struggle with ourselves. Of course, we struggle with, struggle with others also. Those of us who live in families, Married ones struggle with each other. Children struggle with parents. Parents struggle with children. We work with homes. We struggle with each other. In the church, we struggle with each other. That's life. That's the way it is. But our attitude to other people begins to change when we are, you know, in the gospel. When we look at the gospel, we begin to see ourselves differently. We begin to, our attitude to self changes. Many of us, as I said, we struggle. We don't like ourselves. I wish it was like this. I wish my life was different. I, you know, 
And of course, a lot of what we think about ourselves is influenced by what others think of us. If they tell us you are very good, then we say, wow, and it encourages us. But they tell us you are stupid, whatever. Then it really makes us upset. And we, we, we live our lives a lot by what others think and say. But the gospel must also change the way we see ourselves. Who are we? What is our identity? Who are we? Sometimes we find our identity in our family. And it's all right to know who are. We didn't choose, by the way, who our parents will be. We didn't choose. The brothers and sisters we have, we didn't choose them. So those are things we have no choice. Where we were born, what our life situations were when we were born. These things are not our choice. And so sometimes some of us don't get the best of life situations. When I was uh, in the U.S. Uh, studying and my next door neighbor was an African-American man. And uh, James, I just mentioned his name. And he was, he came from the Bronx. Bronx is like the tough part of New York where a lot of poor housing is there. Uh, almost like the slums, if you say tough growing up in those places. And he did not even have a stable father. His mother had three husbands. And all the children of these three different husbands, they lived together. This mother was a train driver. It was a hard life, he went through. And yet he says it was because of the work of the church, I think it was a Mennonite church, that somehow helped him to keep away from violence and drugs and crime. And he followed, uh, you know, in the life of the church. And then he studied and finished college. And he was with me, my, my neighbor. Both of us were doing a PhD in Princeton. Today he finished and he's a professor in a wonderful university, married to children. But all that happened because in the gospel, you see yourself also different. So our view of ourselves slowly changes when we enter into this gospel. I'll tell you one more story, true story. I like to tell the story. It is regarding, I will type his name so that some of you can uh, look at him later on and you can search and even listen to him. He's, he's a wonderful person, Justin Welby. Justin Welby actually is the Archbishop of Canterbury. That means he's the head of the Anglican Church in the world, 85 million believers of different churches around the world. Okay, uh, He's a very godly man. You can read about him. If you type his name on YouTube and type the word tongues, he will tell you he prays in tongues all the time. He's an Anglican Archbishop. He's the one who will crown the kings and queens and you know, royal weddings and all that. He has to do that. Now, Justin Welby, Imagine this, after becoming the archbishop, there were people who used to say that you, that he looks a lot like somebody else, not his own father, that he looked like somebody else. And who was that? He was the, uh, one of the last secretaries of Winston Churchill. You know, Winston Churchill was a prime minister of, of England. So his secretary, uh, they said that Justin Welby looks like him. Now, interestingly, Justin Welby's mother had also worked in that office. And Justin Welby allowed 
a DNA testing. After that man was dead, so his widow allowed from some hair, from the hairbrush, that man's hair, and Justin is alive. He, they did a DNA testing and bingo. It was very, very clear. Justin's biological father was not Mr. Welby. It was somebody else. Now, how did that happen? Well, Justin's mother was, you know, struggling with alcohol. Her life was a mess. And so just before she got married, during an office party, she slept with this other man. She did not know she became pregnant. But soon after that, she got married. And when Justin was born after nine months, assumption was that he was born to this Mr. Welby. How do you handle that when you are the Archbishop of Canterbury and you come, the world is going to come to know that you are an illegitimate son? How do you handle that? Amazing. Justin was with a group of leaders, bishops in, in Africa, I think Kenya or Uganda. And he requested the press to please allow me to speak first and then you can publish. But let me speak first. And they gave him that freedom and he spoke. And he openly, he told the world what had happened, that he had just discovered, he said, it's a big surprise. I always thought Mr. Gavin Welby was my father. Both his father and mother struggled with alcohol. And he says, his father died. Then his mother is still alive. And, uh, but she has changed a lot and wonderful lady now. But he said, this is where he said, I do not find my identity in my genetics. I find my identity in Christ. What does that mean, friends? What it means is sometimes, you know, we are so thinking about our family, our grandfather, our family background, sometimes in our community or caste in India or social class or whatever. Those are okay. We didn't choose many of those things. But we have been chosen in Christ. And our primary identity must come in Christ. And Justin Welby, you know, you can listen. By the way, you can read this online. You can go and watch him speak on all these things. Our attitude to ourselves changes when we are grasped by the gospel or we are kissed by the gospel. Our attitude to God changes, our attitude to self changes. And thirdly, let me finish now. Our attitude or our relationship to others changes. Has to. Now, Philemon, remember, come back to Philemon. Paul is saying, hey, Philemon, don't forget, now he's your brother in the Lord. So you can't, the moment he comes, give him a nice beating. Fellow, you ran away? No. In fact, the gospel is so counter-cultural. It will challenge culture. Christians have very often been able to live counterculturally because they have been grasped by the gospel. One of the stories that I like to think about is 
story from the life of Bishop Desmond Tutu. Bishop Desmond Tutu, one of the greatest uh, you know, Christian leaders known. Uh, and you know, he grew up in South Africa where there was apartheid, where the black people were not considered equal to the white. And so one day when he was going with his mother, his mother used to work in somebody's house, like a house help. And he was walking with his mother on the road. Now in those days, when you are walking on the pavement and if a white person is coming across from there opposite you, the black persons have to step out of the pavement into the gutter, into the side and let the white person pass. That's how you are supposed to. Now, if a white person was coming and a white lady was coming opposite direction, usually the white man will move out to the side and even doff his hat, meaning take off his hat and wish. That was the culture. White man will take off his hat to a white woman, never to a black woman. And so one day when they were going on the pavement, on the opposite direction, there was a white man who was coming. And the white man stepped to the side and he took off his hat for Desmond Tutu's mother. He was shocked. He was a small boy, eight or 10 years old. And he asked his mother, who is that? And his mother said, he is a priest. Now that man was a very famous man. Some people think of him as like the father of the whole freedom movement in South Africa, a priest, an Anglican priest called Trevor Huddleston. Trevor Huddleston. And he said, what is he? And the mother said, he is a priest. And this boy decided on that day, I then will be an Anglican priest. He decided. Now, what did Trevor Huddleston do? No other white priest would do it. He did something counter-cultural in his time. In fact, many of his white priests were unhappy with Trevor because he was supporting the fight against apartheid. Other priests found ways to support it and say apartheid is God's will. White people should rule. But Trevor Huddleston, a white priest, he got into trouble because of that. There were false accusations against him, all kinds of things. But he did. As a result, the whole South Africa movement, because somebody felt the gospel changes the way we relate with others, changes our perspective. We see people differently. We forgive people. Exceptional forgiveness. Remember what happened 20 years ago. Graham Staines in Orissa. Never forget that. And his two small boys. And the day after they were burnt, Gladys Staines, what did she say? I forgive them. Exceptional treatment of the others. And as a result, there were people who said, how can this be? What kind of uh, Christianity is this? One person even said, if that is what Christianity is, maybe all of India should become Christians. A Hindu man said. 
Friends, when we enter the gospel, we live differently. I'm going to finish here. I want to read a passage from another Pauline passage for you. And uh, with that, I will close. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verses uh, 29 to 31. This is a very interesting passage. Okay, First Corinthians 7. Paul is talking about different issues connected to marriage. And in passing in 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 31, he says, friends, my brothers and sisters, the time is short. Meaning, well, think of it like this. How long are you and I going to live? None of us knows. Last week, someone, one of my students is a pastor in his congregation, a young man, 52-year-old. Four months ago, came to know that he's got cancer and he died. Well to do everything, but could not save. Last week, I spoke at a funeral. My friend's wife, five years, she had a, a disease that her muscles wasted and she died, 52. Uh, a few months ago, one of my students, her husband, 42 years old, COVID died. They were missionaries. So life is short. You know, we say Jesus is coming, but the chances are before Jesus comes, we will go. And in this, how do we live? How do we live in this short life? Verse 29, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. <laughs> What does that mean? Those who have wives live as if you don't have wives. Paul, what are you saying? Okay. Those who mourn as if they did not mourn. Huh. Those who are happy as if they were not happy. How, do you, how can you be happy and live as if you're not happy? Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. So don't get too excited with anything you buy. Because you're not going to keep it long. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. When you are in this world, remember, you have to use the things of this world. But don't let your whole heart and soul and everything not be in that. Don't be engrossed in it. And now at the end of verse 31, he'll give the reason. Because, and that's what you read. For, because... This world in its present form is passing away. Uh, maybe I will send a short three and a half minute video to Pastor Prem and he can pass it in the group where I explain this in a diagrammatic form. The kingdom of God that has come in and the kingdom of the world that is passing away between the first and the second coming. So in other words, we are living, friends, in a very short life, short time before the coming of the Lord or before our passing. How do we live? Our, if the gospel gets a hold of our life, how do we live? First of all, our view of God must change as a gracious father. Our view of ourselves that we are loved by God with all our faults and weaknesses. And we look at ourselves as the objects of God's love and therefore we look at others as objects of grace. They are also objects of grace. 
how we handle our money changes now. A wonderful theologian, German theologian Helmut Tillicke said, our checkbooks have more to do with heaven and hell than our hymn books. We say, no, let us worship. So in our services, we the singing part we call the worship. We had a beautiful singing led by us. Thank you. But our hymn books and the songs we sing are very important part, but they are sometimes maybe our checkbook, meaning what we do with our money. We have not yet come to that part in our service. Uh, what we do with the life, not only on Sunday with the church, that may show us whether the gospel has a hold of us or a religious idea. People who lived their lives, missionaries who left their countries, came away, lived in India, the Protestant missionaries in the early 18th centuries. How they came, how they gave their life? Because they were grasped by the gospel. Friends, let us walk following Jesus with Paul. I invite you to read the other letters of Paul, struggle with his messages. Don't read just passages here and there. Read the whole letters because then you will get to know what is happening. And let him speak to us. He will teach us how to follow Jesus. And how, what does it mean to have a mind of a Christian? Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. How we live, how we follow Jesus. And may God help us. May the Holy Spirit, who inspired the scriptures, who works in the church, who's working in our lives, continue to lead us as we follow Jesus alongside our dear brother, our dear elder brother, Apostle Paul. May the Lord bless each one of you, dear friends. Thank you. For the privilege of, I took more than an hour. Uh, thank you I, uh, and uh, for listening. But I celebrate what God is doing in and through your lives. Let the grace of God, let the gospel of God, let the Holy Spirit working in your lives bring out some of these beautiful things that many people will be blessed, like through the man Philemon. May you and I be like Philemon, refreshing others, refreshing the splunkna, of others. Uh, uh, it's really a challenge.